Warning, this podcast may contain bad language and some cricket-based knowledge that some listeners may find a sticky wicket to put up with. Bowls. Different types of bowls. Big ones and small ones this week. Some as big as your head. It depends on the size of your head, I suppose. I I have nothing else to, to add from that. I have no cricket comments to make. What about jokes? Have you got any uh, cricket-based jokes? Mm. You've got the runs. Welcome to Seesaw Podcast. With your hosts, T, Cleves and Selena. Every week, bringing some much-needed balance and humour to brighten up what can sometimes be a dark, disabled world. Hello and welcome back to Seesaw Podcast with the dynamic trio that is me, T, Cleves and Selena. Why do you not change it to the trinamic trio? Because that would be redundancy. It's no alliteration, though. You don't always need alliteration. Seesaw, the podcast that doesn't give a fuck about alliteration. You did one this week. Yeah, it wasn't good, was it? No, it, it... moving on. Cricket. <laughs> this week... We are joined by a very decorated sportsman. We have Luke Sugg, who is one of the most decorated blind cricketers in history, and he's still going, so the record he hasn't beaten, he's really going to try and beat them. But it's a really good chat. And with the IMSA Games happening now, you will be able to watch not only the football, reference our last week's episode with the Lionesses, but you'll be able to watch the cricket at the link in the show notes. But first, let's hear about the game. Luke Sugg. Hello. How you doing? Not too bad. You're a busy man. I don't know how you have to find time to uh, get your pads on, to be honest. <laughs> so, of course, you've uh, you've been playing for a fair while time. How long have you been playing cricket now? Internationally, this will be, this is my 19th year. Fast approaching my 20th year. Because August, I think August is the 26th. Or, bit, or something along those lines, is an anniversary of when I made my debut for England uh, back in 2004. So, yeah, it's approaching 19 complete years, going into the 20th year. Uh, played domestically since 2000 and, well, yeah, 2001 until around about 2018, uh, when I then decided to step away and focus on having a family, but also keeping going internationally. But ironically, that's the last time I've played because of different issues, obviously COVID being one of them. So, yeah, so it's it's... A rather extended career. Yeah, nearly two decades, mate. That's that's a fair old time for for sport, like in in any capacity. So, and you know, you're still still going now. Got the Ibsa Games coming up. But um, how did yeah, you get started? The, it was a bit of an interesting one, really, because I wasn't really that interested in cricket growing up as a kid. It was always football, football, football. Everything I did was just football. And then around about year four at school, I think my parents just got sick of me being have, having so much energy running around the house, wanted to go outside, wanted to do this. So they signed me up to basically every single sports club throughout the summer, every sports club after school. And one of them was being being cricket. Uh, I only went along because my friend was, my best friend at the time was going. And he said, let's just try it out. So we did. And it turned out I was pretty decent. And as my site progressively got worse, the county council managed to get, get me in touch with the original Birmingham Blind Sports. So around about 2001, I think it was. Um, I went to their training session at Edgebaston, and the rest was history, really. Incredible. And then, like, from there, was it like, did cricket sort of take the priority over the football, or are you still well up for your football as well? I'm um, well up for my football. I always love a game of football, but obviously I haven't played, again, I haven't played football for about two years, three years, possibly now. But I've always 
tried to edge it out there towards the wife, saying, you know, oh, they've got a tournament on the weekend, they're short on players, they need me, I need to go and play. But now they've they've started moving the football to different areas of the country. Whereas before it was always in Birmingham, and I'm a, a local Midlands lad, so it was easy to get to, to and from. So yes, I've played around with West Bromwich Albion, visually impaired, which are known as Sporting Club Albion. Played for Loughborough Lions, played for uh, London Sports currently. Yes, yeah, so a good old game of football. But as I said, the years progressed, and the more that I played cricket, and the more I became a focal point of the team, that sort of took priority. But I just love to be any playing any sport, really. Just get a bad ball. I'm one of those annoying people that have to have a ball in their hand at all times, has to, you know, pick up a wherever it might be and you shadow bat in and you shadow playing a golf shot sort of thing. I'm that annoying person who just stands in line, <laughs> who cannot stand still. Living for even sport, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. Sure, it's not just ADHD. Well, it could be that. <laughs> you know, it depends on where you're at. Right, so before we, we move on to like going into more depth of, of your career and, and the sport and how it's played. These are the latest stats I could get on you, um, but I'm sure they there might be more to this. So yeah. is it 87 caps for England? 87, still on 87. Been there for five years. Yeah. <laughs> Over 3,000 runs, which is incredible. Yeah. Like 3,000, 3,088 to be precise. Um, and 44 wickets. Uh, yeah, it's around about there. Uh, I think it's about 44. Haven't bowled, haven't taken that many wickets, to be honest, in the last couple of years that I was playing. Probably a reason for that, because the captain kept putting me back, back at square leg. But <laughs> yeah, I haven't picked up as many wickets as I wanted to in the last couple of years. But the main focus for me over the last probably five or six years before, obviously, my last game, so probably around about 2012, 2013, the main priority has been the batting. Scoring runs, scoring big runs. You just reeled off there, over 3,000 runs. Uh, second highest ever from an England visually impaired player. Highest is around about 3,400. Uh, and that's by a B1 batsman who gets double runs. So actually, he's only got 1,700. So we'll just put that out there. If I had double runs, it'd be so much easier. You would have to be blinder, though. Yeah, we, we could work that out. <laughs> um, we could work that out. But yeah, B1 batsman get double runs. So we'll, we'll class that as, you know, we'll let him have a lead for a little while, but I'm, I'm hunting him down. I keep saying to the wife, I'm not done just yet. So there's a few more years, hopefully, touch wood, in me to make it. Possibly to 4,000 if I can. No, do you know what? I really like the sound of your competitiveness that you want to get up to that 4,000 <laughs> runs. And it's also nice to hear you mention West Brom because that's who I play football for. And I know oh, Mark yeah. Turnham, shout out to him because oh, I play football Mark. with him. That's my current roommate. Uh, in the cricket, yeah. so. And he will Big be there to... as well, won't he? Um, Big shout part out of to the Toto. team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if we get more into the game, how does visually impaired cricket work? For those who don't know, how does it vary from the mainstream game? And hopefully one day we won't have to always keep explaining how these visually impaired sports work compared to the mainstream game. But for now, sure. let's go for it. Blind cricket is different in that it has two lots of blind crickets. They're in domestic cricket. They play over size three football or just slightly smaller than the size three football. Inside has got ball bearings and there's different shapes and sizes to obviously help with the different sounds. Bold over arm, as you would do in normal cricket. As we go into the player categories, B1 players are known as totally blind players. Uh, they get double runs. Uh, and if you're bowling to them, you have to bounce the ball twice before it gets to them as, as a batsman. And the only other difference for B1s as well is that they have to wear blackout shades. 
and they're also allowed to catch the ball on the one bounce in the field. Then, obviously, you've got various different categories for the domestic game. Uh, B2, again, is split into a low partial category and a, a normal B2 category. They're the partially blind players. It's predominantly what a fully sighted person could see at 60 metres. Uh, those B2 players can see at three metres or less, clearly. And also, you've got people that have tunnel vision, so they could have very, very good vision, potentially 20-20 vision, but it to a degree less than five degrees, which makes the tunnel really small. And then you get on to partially sighted players, which is what I am, which is a B3 category. And again, the only difference is we really have then is it's just whether you're B2 or B3. Nothing really comes any different. We score single runs. We have to get the ball bounce once. No full tosses, thank God. Everything else is the same. When you're bowling, uh, you have to ask the batsman if he's ready. When the batsman says yes, you can obviously produce your run-up. As you're about to release the ball, you have to shout play. Um, and obviously, depending if you're, it's a B1 batsman or a partial sighted batsman, where the ball has to bounce twice or once. And then moving into the international game, um, which I'm a bit more familiar with now, because I've not played domestic cricket for about five or six years. We only have the categories B1, B2, B3. Each 11 players has to be made up of at least four B1 players. Uh, so four totally blind players. And again, they get double runs and can catch on the one bounce. Then uh, you have to have a minimum of three B2s in every 11. But you can potentially play seven B2s if you wish. But you have to play a minimum of three. And then the remaining of the team can be made up of B3s. But the only other real difference with that, with the international game compared to the domestic game, is it's a white, a solid white plastic ball with ball bearings inside, which sounds like a baby's rattle, which is quite funny when you're walking through, having gone to training, walking through train stations, and people think you've got baby's rattles with you all everywhere. But that bowling is all underarm, and everybody, whether you're B1, B2, or B3, has to receive two bounces minimum. So there's a, a line down the halfway of the pitch, across halfway, and there's obviously the bowler's half and the batsman's half, so it has to bounce at least once in each half. But predominantly with it being hardcore pitches and this ball being a rock solid plastic, it will pretty much just roll once it hits the floor. You get the odd time when it will bounce around about ankle height, maybe shin high. But yeah, other than that, that is the differences. There are a fair few videos on YouTube that people can go and see and get an understanding of blind cricket. So we are one of the only countries that actually do two different formats of blind cricket. Uh, our domestic, obviously overarm with the size free football, and internationally with underarm, uh, whereas all the other nations, their domestic will be underarm bowling. So it's a lot easier for them to remain in that that rhythm, basically, of underarm bowling and facing underarm bowling. Why is there two different types of the game? Why why not just play international all of the time or domestic for everything? Don't get me started on that. Um, <laughs> I just, it's a very, very long-standing problem. Well, I probably wouldn't even say a problem, but it's it's a cause of debate. Predominantly with blind cricket throughout the years, so way before I even, probably way before I was born probably, that it was more seen as like a social event here in England where, you know, on a Saturday afternoon, a load of blind people get together and have a game that's just for them. And then, you know, they have a game, they play for three, four, five hours, play a match together, but then they have points of beer in the, in the clubhouse and whatever. So it was all seen as a social event. Internationally, the game in England was around about 1998, I think it was, first World Cup. It was 98 for, obviously, blind cricket, but the international in international theme. So, yeah, it was. It's since then, there's been, obviously, the two differences. 
the problem we've had is over the years when we've been trying to get better in terms of better players, better pool of players, we've had that head-to-head conversation so many times, so many ways of trying to work it into domestic cricket. Obviously thankful for the moment at the domestic calendar will fit around obviously any England tour, any England training weekends. And we predominantly will now take priority if we've got a series like we have in a couple of weeks. But it's just, yeah, it's an age-old question that just continually gets risen and then just gets discarded. So I think many people have just given up in the sense of just leave it at the two and we'll just focus on whichever way you want to focus. But do you know if you're playing a domestic game and then let's say you get called up for England, is it difficult to adapt your game? It is slightly different uh, and very difficult because, so the balls are completely different. So one's a size three football that you can see, some people will be able to see from quite a distance away compared to a normal size cricket ball that's solid white plastic. And obviously they are very different, but it's also the speed of the game as well. Like domestic cricket, it can be very, I say that social aspect of it's 22 visually impaired people on a field at once, all having time of their lives, having a conversation, having a bit of banter, having some fun, getting some exercise. But it's that main social aspect, whereas the international is very full on, full speed. It's a case of just skill levels. And so you play different shots. So a size three football will bounce as normal. So you're playing proper cricket shots, you know, pull shots and cut shots and pull defensives and shots like that. Whereas with the international ball, because it's not reaching probably any higher than your knee after one bounce, you're playing completely different shots. So you're playing, we call it sweep shots, but they're more like deflective paddle shots with the international game. Whereas obviously with the domestic size three, you can play completely different shots. Um, so it, it can take some people that get called up to England a little bit of time to adjust. But obviously we, we take them on board in terms of you've got to have some potential. And so obviously to have that potential and that talent, you will predominantly dominate domestic cricket at which point you we then obviously we, we can see that you've got the, the the ability and the talent to move forward uh, with the international and we just keep keep those players alongside the performance squads i mean a classic example we've had a, a young lad david house who's now only what 420 uh, this year yeah that's that's frightening to think that he's out but he's 20 this year but i think he's probably been in around the england squad for about five or six years because we saw the potential of this young lad and although he's never been at that point of a real star in the the international game, but the domestic, he's just grown and grown and grown. And it's now, you know, we're seeing the, the fruits of the labour, as it were, because the time and effort he's spent alongside the performance of the international, he could well be the star of the show in the next couple of months at the World Blind Games. I just want to go back quickly to, you talked about the B1s having double runs, but am I right in thinking, but they don't actually run? That is correct, because that would be absolute chaos. So B1s and B2s, all in any form of the cricket, so domestic and international, have an option to have a runner. Uh, obviously, with B1s, it's not really an option. It's a given, um, because having totally blind players running 22 yards could be, I say, absolute chaos, but it could be dangerous as well. I think that's a shame. As someone who's coming from a running background, <laughs> you know, yeah, I love are. running. It's a shame there that they are. don't have the option. That like, the, no, there's not been a workaround that that they've just gone. Oh, someone else can do it for you. It's a shame. Yeah, it it is a shame because there are some excellent runners. Uh, you know, Mark Turnham. You, mm. you you must know Roy Turnham. 
Yes. <laughs> his brother, who is obviously a fantastic athlete in any sense. But the, the best part is about these B1s, some of them are quicker and potentially fitter in terms of running than actually some of the partials that are doing all the running. But it's it's difficult because obviously there's not been a workaround as yet to allow B1s to be able to run for themselves. Because I know that some of them would love the opportunity, love the, the challenge. So it would be absolute chaos and having someone call from each end or whichever it may be or different sounds. But yeah, it, it would be something to potentially look into in the future. Well, they definitely should. And what kind of cricket do you play internationally? As in, is it, obviously the opposite games are coming up. What kind of cricket will you be playing there? Is it one day test match? I don't know. I don't know cricket that well. 2020, I've heard these kind of things before when cricket has been talked about. What kind of cricket do you do? So predominantly, uh, and what's going to be happening in the World Blind Games is 2020 cricket. After those that aren't familiar with cricket, that's 20 overs per side. And that'll be predominantly what we do going forwards. I mean, the last time we played, when we call it one day, as we play 40 over a side games. Uh, we don't play any test matches, even though that would be quite interesting. But trying to find two teams that actually want to play for four or five days at once. It, again, that could be mayhem. There could be big runs or there could be a big amount of wickets, depending on who you face. But yeah, we play predominantly 2020 cricket. We have done... For the last six or seven years, uh, I think the last time we played a 40-over game, it was a one-day game, was in 2016 uh, in the Ashes, which I think we predominantly try to keep as 40-over cricket for the Ashes alone. So you've got the Ibsen World Games coming up. Who is it you're yep. facing first? When do you start? Give me a little bit of background on that. No, our first game is Australia. Sunday the 20th at, I want to say, King Edward's School in Birmingham, but I'm not entirely sure because... There was talk of the ground being changed, but yeah. So we've got a game on the Sunday, a game on the Monday, a game on the Tuesday, a day off on the Wednesday, and then the final round-robin game on the Thursday. So there's only five teams in the cricket this this year. England, Australia, India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. They're sort of names that you would probably expect from cricketing countries as well, I guess. Predominantly, yeah. So as you can probably imagine, India and Pakistan uh, are the top two in the world. No real surprise if... Their backgrounds of bit cricket being the main sport, etc. And say so Bangladesh are a relatively inexperienced team, but they are coming through the ranks pretty quickly because they've had a bit of support from India and Pakistan, a bit of training support, um, and they've come on leaps and bounds. And actually, in the last, I think it was the last T20 World Cup, they actually made the final, beating Sri Lanka in the semi-final, who's one of the, again one of the, the best teams in the world. So it was quite a surprise to see them in the final against uh, India. Have you played these teams before? And if so, how have you fared against them? Let's not talk about India. Um, <laughs> it is the only team I haven't beaten. I've not been on the winning side in my 19-year career. I've never beaten India, even though I came within about six balls of beating them in 2015, so it's annoying. Um, but everybody else, I've at least one victory against, I think. We beat Pakistan in 2006, so I was happy with that, even though we lost a series, but... We can say we've beat them in a game, but haven't beaten them since. Again, we've come pretty close. I mean, we played a 40-over game and we managed to rack up around about 435 in 40-overs um, and they still beat us. So that was a bit of a wow. kick in the teeth, that one. But yeah, so India and Pakistan, in my eyes, are miles ahead of everybody else purely because they've just got talent after talent after talent. They've got, we probably say we've got 50 players that want to play international cricket for England, they're looking at around about 
two, three thousand players that they can pick from. So their turnover of players is just huge. Some of the players that you'd think aren't that great compared to some of the other players in their teams probably last a couple of years. They might have one World Cup, maybe two World Cups, and that's it, they're gone. They're finished. You get the odd players that keep going and going and going. But again, they're not just staying still. They're actually becoming better players each year. Yeah, so it's always a, it's always a big challenge. I'd rather just play India and Pakistan being the best two in the world because that helps me become a better player that I want to be. Um, I always want to face the best bowlers. I want to face the best batsmen, even if that means cutting us around the park for 400 runs off 20 overs. At the end of the day, they won't do it every time, but you'll pick up things. And sometimes we've had some absolutely humiliating defeats. I mean, one time I think we were bowled out for 41 in a game against India. But wow. it was the, the point of, yeah, that happens. That happens in the cricket. You've just got to you know, bite the bullet and walk away and go again. But what can you learn from it? There's no point going off going, oh, we're absolutely rubbish. We can't do this. We can't keep up. Actually, you can. If they can do it, you can do it. There's nothing stopping you doing what they've done. You've just got to work harder at ways of making it work for you. Where Selena said earlier about my competitiveness, that is where my drive is. Is I won't, I won't stop until I'm at the top of my game. I've had one or two fallings out with coaches before because their standards haven't met my standards. I am, in my own sense, a very highly strong individual when it comes to the cricket. Um, I'll play to win. I always want the best. If you know, I, I remember falling out with one coach because I was, I was doing a batting drill. I was facing 20 balls, just one after another, one after another, hitting them into one area that I was really focusing on. And I'd hit 19 out of 19 and the 20th ball didn't go where I wanted to go. And I was effing and blinding. He was like, what's going on? What's he doing this for? And he went, you can't do this. You can't do this. And I went, I will not stop until I've got 20 out of 20. At the end of the day, that is where I'm at. That's where my mind's at. That's where I want to go. And I remember at the time, it's my, well, it's my dad, actually. But my dad was part you know, was part of the squad. He's the that tour manager. And he just pulled him to the side and he said, look, at the end of the day, this is what's going to make Luke the best in the world. If he does, if he stops now, stops at that, you know, accepting less standard than what what he wants he won't reach what he wants to be and i've always said that is that i always wanted to be the best in the world i've always wanted to be the a name that other teams fear not just one team i want all teams to fear me particularly as a batsman you know from a personal perspective do you feel like you've still got more to go because a lot of people that have been in sport for let's say 20 years some of them might say they're already past the best at this point no no I've, i've still got more to give it's just whether my wife allows me to continue. <laughs> I've got a wife at home. I've got two kids. So I know it's not going to last forever. But it's that whole point of I don't want to retire knowing that I've not given everything that I've got. I mean, I've suffered in my fair share of injuries. I've come back from a broken leg in 2005. I mean, I broke my leg in, two, in July 2005. And in January 2006, I was on a plane to Sri Lanka. It was just the mentality of, I don't know if I can run. I got on that plane. They said, can you run? I went, I don't know. But at the end of the day, I got to the point of, I will be here no matter what. I'm going to give it everything I've got. I was having my leg in a cast and I was on a trampoline with a netting around the outside. And all I had was one of the international balls. And you know those, the small signature bats that people have that get signatures from all the players. Had one of those and I was literally just in there because there's obviously a netting around the, the outside of the trampoline. So the ball was obviously popping around everywhere and diverting. 
and that was my training was my leg I was out of action basically you've got to get to your 100 caps like you're so close as well you can't stop at 87. that is one of my main goals uh, it's a bit of a selfish goal I've always said you know, I've always been open and honest and said that is a goal that I have but it is what it is if I get to 100 I get to 100 but I can't guarantee that there'll be enough cricket for me to play in that time I mean it could be after the world blind games that I decide enough's enough and time to walk into the sunset and enjoy family time and not have to think that I have to go for a run after work after a, a long nine ten hour day or doing what I need to because after a series my body does ache it does hurt it does break I've got two dodgy elbows two dodgy knees and I suffer with obviously um, issues following the, the leg break back in 2005 that have different complications so I've got a very difficult situation to be in but that'll be what it comes you know the plan is to get to 100 but I can only go as far as what's there available so obviously if we go to the final in the world blind game so that's six games potentially so that takes me to 93 I think I'm going to get another seven from somewhere and I'm not sure what's what's on the horizon for 2024 uh, and whether I'll still be here so why isn't there much cricket opportunities? What's going on? Why don't you have more competitions, more friendlies? Uh, so with our international game, the ECB has really taken control of our budgets and providing the money that enables us to train for series and to go on tours, etc. But obviously alongside that, with the um, ECB, we are battling alongside and working alongside the other disabilities Usually the way the ECB works is they'll put their funding for disability into whichever area is having a tour that year. So, for example, um, England Blind Squad is having obviously the World Blind Games this summer. So we will then go to the back of the line. So next year it will be potentially the deaf or it will be the learning disabilities or it will be the physical disabilities. And we go on a rotation sort of thing. Um, so it just all depends on what's available at the time. Uh, that's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I was that's, going to say. that's really sad yeah. to hear it, that it other disabilities have to be up against other disabilities for, for funding. That someone needs to sort that out, please. That would be nice if they could. Because when I first started in the early two thousands, mid two thousands, we were probably looking at we were going on tour every every year. So you know, either a World Cup and a home series, or an away series and a home series every single year. So probably at that point, we've got, probably got a lot of spoiled time because it was just around about when the ECB came on board. Uh, it was about 2007. So they obviously put a lot of our tours and our training, etc. But it's it's been a bit annoying recently because of COVID, etc. that things haven't been able to be put in place. Hopefully in, in the future, like, it'll get straightened out and you know, just knock them dead when it comes to, to Ibiza. You know, take revenge for the ashes. Like No one's satisfied with that draw. And Australia retaining, so I think you've got to give those boys a smashing. We'll just remind Australia that since I've been playing, we've won three Ashes series, yeah. and they've only won one. So we'll just remind them of that first <laughs> before they get too big for their boots. Absolutely. So I have a, a quick story because obviously the, the sport is quite a dangerous sport. It was actually the international game I did trial in my career and was completely put off of it because of. Well, at no short, no short extent, but it was you, Luke, that actually put me off. And it was, <laughs> um, it was, I don't know if you remember, you played so much cricket, but it was at a London exhibition where a lot of the lads, domestic lads came and we, we just played a little bit of a international, played a couple of like limited over games. Um, and I was batting across you in the opening 
<laughs> and I think it was the third ball or the first over. And uh, you don't expect to be hit in the face by your opposing batsman, but that's what happened. Severely concussed me with this plastic ball. And at that point, I was like, no, absolutely not. We weren't wearing any protective gear at all. Um, and at that point, I was like, okay, this isn't for me, but I can see why even back then, which was been around eight years ago, yeah, you're, you're one of the best in the world. So, yeah, I <laughs> very dangerous game. And I'm not surprised that you've got so many injuries. It would have cost me four runs that day, so... Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> I got in the way. I got in the way. It, absolutely. I just thought yeah. maybe you didn't want to play international cricket because you were focused on that archery career. Let's not go down that <laughs> road. <laughs> yes. Really Tell the truth. Uh, but Luke, it's been absolutely incredible having you on. And I hope to see you in the squad for years to come. You've got to hit that 100. You, you've got to break the record for, for runs as well. You're not far off of that. So... Hopefully, in the next 13 matches to get your caps, you can overtake and properly make yourself as England's greatest okay. batsman, the, the GOAT, as they say. Well, ho- hopefully, I can. But the the guy that's actually number one is still in the squad and bats at number three currently. I open the batting currently, so I need to make sure that I score hundreds. So that he doesn't have time to bat anymore. And when he does, I need to run him out. Or you could do what you did to me, mate. Just have him stand opposite you and just aim for the head. <laughs> I've, I've done that in my fair share of times to him, so I don't think I can get away with that too many times. <laughs> oh, but good luck with, with Ibza. And, of course, in the show notes, we're going to have all of the links for streaming to get tickets. Uh, go and support the boys. Go support the girls as well. Really strong team as well. Um, mm. So make sure you're going to, to Birmingham if you are in that area, or you can stream, which IBSA are hopefully going to have everything streamed on their website. So best of luck, Luke. We'll chat to you soon. Thank you very much. Take care, guys. And we're back again. I like Luke. I like his attitude. I like his competitiveness. I see myself in him. See, once again, I I wanted you to bring us back, Selena, because Cleves did it for the Lionesses. And it is very hard to sound really sincere <laughs> out of context. <laughs> but they are always very sincere. Yeah, great chat. Really enjoyed the conversation with Luke. No, um, you didn't sound so sincere then. But it was genuinely a great chat. The problem is when I bring someone back, often I'm stumped. I see what you did there. I see what <laughs> yeah. you did there. Oh. Okay. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please find in the show notes, there will be links to the IBSA website where you'll be able to stream all of these lovely sports that are going on. There's quite a lot on there. I had a look earlier. And if you want to get tickets and can put up with Birmingham, then please also buy tickets on there and go and support your national teams at doing what they do best. So until next time, goodbye. I thought I hit that for six. Thank you for listening to Seesaw Podcast. Your feedback and comments mean a lot to us, so if you'd like to get in touch, you can do so in the following ways. You can find us on Twitter at Seesaw Pod, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Seesaw Podcast. And you can also join us at SeesawPodcast.com. Remember to like, rate, review, 
and share with a friend. This podcast was recorded in front of a blind audience. What about that um oh. that newspaper headline that was like the bowlers holding the batsman's penis? <laughs> was that a headline? No, nah, it was Willie, wasn't it? Not penis. Look it up, people. <laughs> God's sake, know your cricket knowledge.